Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Wow, to be able to kick off today and have Evans praying for his nation of Haiti, and then to witness six people who've gone from death to life, and they're going public with their faith. That's a pretty good way to start a day, isn't it? Amen. I want us to say this verse together. It's our memory verse. In fact, I just want us to kick off right now. Would you just stand with me out of reverence for God's word as we say this verse together? It's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Would you just say that out loud with me? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the promise of your presence right here in this room right now. How you continue to be with us in ways that transform our lives and give us purpose for those around us. Thank you, God. Would you speak to us today? May we have open hearts and ears for what you want to say today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want us to kick off with a little bit of fun today because it's that time of year where there are a lot of movies on television. Maybe you're watching it, you're streaming these Christmas movies. What is your favorite Christmas movie of all time? I want you to take 10 seconds and just ask the person beside you, what's your favorite all-time Christmas music? Christmas movie, got it, ready, go. Those of you who are online, go ahead and type that in the comments. I love to go back later in the day and see what your favorite Christmas movie is. All right, so right over here on this far right section, would you be the first to go and just shout out your favorite all-time Christmas movie? Anybody want to shout that out? It's Home Alone. Very good. Home Alone. Yeah, you can applaud for your movie, or you can boo. That's fine, too. All right, right here in this section, favorite all-time Christmas movie? White Christmas, Sandra. I heard you. You didn't want to get missed. I also heard Christmas Vacation, so there's a little, little bit of difference there. All right, right here, favorite all-time Christmas movie? I heard It's a Wonderful Life. All right. How about right here? This is a bigger section. Favorite all-time Christmas movie? What is it? Home Alone? Did you say Home Alone? What is it? Oh, Rudolph. Hey, there we go, a classic. Well done. We needed to have that one represented. All right, right here, favorite all-time Christmas movie. What is it? All right. Die Hard, she said. How many of you does that frustrate? Just own it right here. All right, there's a handful of us. Good. All right, right here, favorite all-time Christmas movie. What is it? All right, we're done. All right. So this is the time of year where we're watching all these great Christmas movies. Maybe you're actually going out looking at the Christmas lights. Maybe you have some of your decorations up and you're anticipating what the Christmas season's gonna involve. Maybe you've started a little shopping. Anybody done with their shopping already? Oh, a few of you, wow. How many of us dislike those people, huh? Yeah, yeah. 
And then there's some of us who aren't like any of those things because for Christmas you enter this season and honestly, maybe it's unique to this particular Christmas, you have some difficulties because of some pain that you are experiencing because this might be the first Christmas for you that somebody's missing or something is missing or something is broken and it, you see all of everyone's joy and it just magnifies your pain. And so one of the things that we're talking about in this series, God With Us, is there is an overarching theme to Christmas. We don't want to miss it this year. And it is simply this. God wants to be with us. Isn't that a great promise? Like, I love that God rescues us on the cross, but one of the things the Christmas story reminds us of is that Jesus came to earth because God wants to be with us. And this is our verse. That's why we're looking at it because hundreds of years, as Rick reminded us earlier, before Jesus came and the first Christmas ever began, there was a promise from God himself in our prophecy that we're memorizing together, Isaiah 7, 14. And one more time, just say it out loud with me. Say it with me. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14. And what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. We get to the New Testament, we see it again. It's all throughout the scriptures. God doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't just want to rescue us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to be with you in your pain. He wants to be with you in your loss, as we saw last week. And today what we're going to see is that promise. God with us, it also means that God will be with us in our envy. He wants to be with us in our envy. Have you ever thought about that? Boy, that's a good thing, that he wants to be with me in my envy. Now, this is different. Last week, we looked at disappointment, and we saw that in loss, God wants to be with us. And there's a big difference. It's subtle, but it's important between envy and loss, because in disappointment, my focus is on my situation, on my loss, on my loneliness, on my pain. However, in envy, it's actually nothing like that. In envy, my focus is on someone else's situation, on what they have that might be more, on the fact that the grass seems to be just a little bit greener than it does on my side. My focus is on them. Now you may think, well, how would we define envy? And we're going to do that later on because we actually want scripture to define that for us. But let me tell you where we often experience envy, and it is in this environment right here. It is in Facebook, it is in Instagram, it is on your, uh, it's Twitter, it could be Pinterest or whatever other social media platform that you use. And it often looks a little bit like this. I decide I finally have a little bit of time and I go on vacation and it's great. I'm out at the lake and I'm enjoying life and all of a sudden I pull out my phone, I open up my app, I'm scrolling my feed and you are enjoying your vacation until you see your friend's vacation and all their likes and all their comments and envy is triggered, right? Or it's whenever you decide that you save up over many years and you finally get your dream home and life is good. Months go by and you're sitting one night in the living room, you pull out your phone, you open up the app and all of a sudden your friend has the audacity to post their new dream home and envy is triggered, right? Or maybe it was just over the last month or two where you had your Christmas lights put up and you're so proud because you finally got those things up and they look beautiful. 
until you open up your app and all of a sudden your friend posts, they got their Christmas lights up and they kill your lights every single time, right? You know what this feels like, this place of envy. And I don't know where you struggle. There are a lot of areas that we can struggle with envy. And maybe one of these categories fits you. But there's limitless ways in which we struggle with envy. And I don't know about you, but I find in my own life and in humanity, it is one of the ugliest things in human nature. It's why it's one of the seven deadly sins, envy. I don't like the way it shows up in my own life, if I'm honest, and maybe you don't like the way it shows up in your life. It's one of those things where when I see someone else fail, and my first internal response is, yes. I don't like that in me. Maybe you're that way where you have some influencer or somebody on social media that you follow, and all of a sudden their marriage falls apart, or they're financially, they get upside down, and all of a sudden you just feel that internal response where you think, yes. And you think, why am I celebrating someone else's demise? Or maybe we get a little more personal. We say, it's whenever you're at work and that other person gets the promotion, the one that you feel like you deserved. Or when that person next door pulls up in that car that you've had your eye on, or you know you'll never be able to afford. Or when your friend posts their 20th anniversary, and you know you'll be spending Christmas alone this year. Envy is triggered. And envy has a way of rotting the bones, the Bible says. And we end up competing with people who don't even know they're in a competition with us. And there's like a two-edged sword to envy. In fact, it looks kind of like this. Envy can actually make us arrogant when we're successful. However, it makes us despise ourselves when we fall short. Envy's one of those sins that's never fun. And yet I'm always tempted, and here's why we're talking about it in this season. In the Christmas season, it may be the time of year we are most tempted to envy others than any other time of the year. And it's easy to feel helpless until we look at scripture and realize, wait a minute, God with us gives us hope there. But apart from that, we better measure the cost of envy because envy has a way of being very expensive. It costs us relationships, and it costs us our own personal peace. I don't know about you, but that is a lot to pay for something that gives no joy or fun at all along the way. So I want to give you two words that everybody needs to hear today when it comes to envy. Stop it. (laughs) Just stop it. Wouldn't it be great if it were that easy? Like you could just go, okay, not going to do it anymore. I'm good to go. Thank you. Let's go. Man, I'm telling you, as soon as you open that app today, Envy's going to show its ugly head again. So what do we do with this thing that none of us want to do, but all of us struggle with, and yet we know it costs us way more than we want to pay? What do we do with this idea of envy? And today I want us to look at two characters in Scripture. Each wanted what the other one had. One struggled with envy and the other one didn't because of one thing. And we're going to learn what that one thing is today. And I hope it helps us this Christmas season. So let's get introduced to these two characters. One is King Saul. He's not the Saul of the New Testament. Remember, he became Paul in Acts. This is a different, this is the Old Testament Saul, who is the first king of Israel. When Israel is moving from the era of judges, remember the last judge was Samuel, 
to the era of kings or the kingdom. This is about 1000 BC and Saul is the first king and he's anointed by the last judge, Samuel. And initially he is very popular. In fact, this becomes addictive to his personality. He loves the affection of the people so much. And initially he loved David who after all killed Goliath and is considered to be a mighty warrior. Everything's going great. However, eventually the people's affection began to shift from Saul to David and that is when Saul would begin to despise David and that is when Saul would begin to struggle with envy and it will change and destroy everything in his life. But let's meet the other character because he's the other guy. His name is David and he becomes the second king in the nation of Israel. He too was anointed by Samuel and he is actually Saul's son-in-law. He marries one of Saul's daughters. So they are actually family One, both of them have what the other one wants. One struggles with envy and the other one doesn't because of one thing. And we're gonna see what that one thing is here in just a minute. But you gotta see this story because I believe it's never been relevant than in the Christmas season of envy. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll look at this story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the pew. You can grab it. You can look at the table of contents and look with us at 1 Samuel And we're going to start off in verse 6 of chapter 18. And right out of the gate, we find out why it is that Saul is so envious of David. And you're going to think it's petty, but it's real. Because it's easy to find the pettiness in other people's envy, but it's hard to see the pettiness in our own envy. So let's look at this petty envy. Verse 6 of chapter 18, it says... So when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine... The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, here's the song, Saul has slain his thousands, and Saul smiles really big, and David his tens of thousands, and suddenly Saul's smile goes away. His envy has been triggered. And just like in modern day, we'll see rappers write songs about basketball players. Back then, the songwriters would write songs about mighty warriors. And Saul is offended by these lyrics. Envy has been triggered. In fact, look at verse 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. And look what he says. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Now, I don't know about you, but I look at the story and I feel like it's petty because they are actually writing a song about Saul saying how mighty a warrior he is. In fact, they are saying, Saul, we see you as the second most mighty warrior in all the kingdom and you're the most powerful person in all the kingdom. That's a pretty attractive place to be seen. That seems like that's a pretty popular place, which is what he wants is people's affection. You see, it turns out envy has nothing to do with you being completely bankrupt and destitute. It just requires somebody else having more than you and you being able to see that they have more than you. And we we see this all the time. There's something about, it doesn't matter if you're even the second greatest gymnast in all the world, you can be on the silver platform like Michaela was in 2012 when she won the silver medal and there's a long way from joy, right? right? She's the second greatest one in the world, but in this moment she's like, yeah, but I'm not first. This is Saul. Saul's in that place where they're saying, Saul, you're the greatest warrior outside of David. And immediately envy 
takes over. Now, I want you to watch what begins to happen because in verse nine, I believe this is the turning point in Saul's life. And this happens for all of us if we're not careful when it comes to envy. Watch what he, watch what he does. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He watches David. He thinks about David. When he goes to bed at night, he wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about this David and the fact that people's affection are going to him and not to him. And he's beginning to think too much about David. He's becoming obsessed about David. And this is what envy does, doesn't it? It begins to cause us to think about someone a little bit too much. And here's the question I have for you. Who is it that you're keeping a close eye on? Is there someone that you find yourself having way too much mental space in your own mind. And that's where it began to go south for Saul. Now we're gonna see, I believe envy do what envy does. And that is envy loves to take our hearts and morph them and eventually deform them to become something we never thought we would be. And that's the journey that has begun for Saul. David has what Saul wants, the affection of the people, and Saul can't stop thinking about him. And envy begins to take over. Watch how he starts to behave in an erratic way. Look at verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul and he was prophesying. In fact, one, if you, if you take this original word, it actually means rave or rage or you could say tantrum like the ancient, those who would have worshipped Baal. And so in, in Kings, that's how it's translated, which fits this context. He's basically throwing a tantrum. And while David was playing the lyre as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it at him thinking to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. And just a quick pro tip, if you're ever at someone's house for dinner and they start throwing the spear at you, just a good time to leave, right? Make your exit right there, it's a good spot. You see, Saul is beginning to do things he never thought he would do. He never thought he would become such a hate-filled human being, but this is the power of envy. Envy has a way of taking you to places you would never choose to go and becoming a kind of person you would never want to become. That's how powerful envy is. It is not consequence neutral. It is a pathway that leads us to destruction. And that's the case for Saul. So look at verse 12. It continues the spiral of envy. Verse 12 says, now Saul becomes afraid of David because, watch this, the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul, which is odd, isn't it? But then we remember the way God interacts with us changed after the incarnation or after Jesus coming to earth. We see in the Old Testament, it wasn't unusual at all for the Holy Spirit to come on and then to leave people as he did here with Saul. This is one of the beauties of God with us. When Jesus came to the earth, remember in the book of Acts, after he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit who came to permanently indwell us. This is the beauty of God with us. Look at verse 13, though. Saul being angry. He sends David away from him, and he gave him a command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaign. And watch this. In everything he did, he had great success because, and say those next few words with me, the Lord was with him. 
The Lord is with David. He's being blessed. He has God's favor. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Now, how successful was he? Skip down to verse 30 of that chapter. And that last verse says... So the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle as they often did. David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers. And watch this. And his name became well known. Guess who that bothered the most? Saul. The fact that David was gaining the affection of the people only drove Saul's envy higher and higher and higher. And this began to deform his heart even more. Just like it does us. You see somebody at work who are competing business and they continue to have success and after a while you can't stop thinking about them. You continue to become more and more obsessed by them and all of a sudden you realize you're becoming more hate-filled than you have been in a while. This is Saul, except it goes on for such a long period of time that he begins to despise David, his own son-in-law. And eventually he begins to plot to murder David. That's how far envy has taken him. And that's where we pick up the story. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to chapter 24 as we see this story come to a head. Chapter 24, I love hearing your pages turn. Chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, look what it says. This is the most famous bathroom scene in all of Scripture. You wanted to know that, didn't you? Verse 1 After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, Hey, Saul, David is in the desert of Engedi. I don't know you want to murder him, and we're telling you where you can. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and here it is, and Saul went in to relieve himself or to make the cave a bathroom. David, turns out, is in the back of the cave with his men. So David and his men were far back in the cave and the men began to whisper to David so that Saul couldn't hear some advice. They said, this is it, David. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy Saul into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. They see Saul as David's enemy. But David didn't take the bait. All the people David knew were telling him, to take what he wants. You want to be king, David. God has already told you you're going to be king. Take it into your own hands. Right now, God seems to have delivered him to you. But David realized something. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's wise. And David decided just because you could doesn't mean you should. And in that moment, he decides to go a different route. Look what he does instead. The rest of that verse, it says, then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, and he kind of gets forceful here, he kind of gets stern. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing that you advised to my master. The Lord's anointed. He didn't say he was his enemy. He's the Lord's anointed. So he's giving him a completely different identity. And I will not lay my hand on him. Why? He is the anointed of the Lord. Saul viewed David as his enemy. David did not view Saul as his enemy. And here's the question, and this is worth everything. Why would David not view Saul as his enemy? 
When that person at work gets that promotion that you wanted, how can you not see them as your enemy? When that neighbor pulls up in that car, you've had your eye on, how can you not see them as your enemy? When someone around you is celebrating in the midst of your pain, how can you not see them as your enemy? When you're scrolling the Instagram feed and their house looks so much better than yours, how can you not see them as your enemy? And I want you to see what David knew, believed to the core of his being based on what we're about to read. David believed with everything in him that he was convinced God had placed him, David, exactly where he was supposed to be. And he was convinced that God had placed Saul exactly where he was supposed to be. His focus, see Saul's focus was on David. David's focus was on God. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavericks, may have given the only theology that I've ever heard him give and he didn't intend to, but I believe this is a great quote. He says, I don't worry about whether or not the glass is half empty or half full. I just deal with the one who is pouring the water. This is David. He's not worried about whether or not he has the role he wants or doesn't, has the circumstances or doesn't. He just deals with the God who's in control of his circumstances. He's not worried about your circumstances or her circumstances. He's worried about who it is who controls the circumstances, who it is that's pouring the water. See, David has a unique ability right here to be seeking the Lord's approval. Saul is seeking people's approval. David is seeking the Lord's. And here's the question, whose approval are you seeking? Let's finish this story out. Look at verse seven. Because now it becomes a real intimate and powerful conversation between David and Saul. This is where the two people who have what the other wants, one, Saul, is struggling with envy. It's, in fact, it's completely morphed him. And somehow David's not. And I want you to see this conversation. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Paul or Saul. Now he's actually protecting Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Saul, why do you listen with these men who say David is bent on harming you? Who are you listening to, Saul? And then he goes on to say, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave and some of my own men urged me to kill you but I decided I spared you and I told them I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, look at the piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but I did not kill you. See, there's nothing in my hand that indicates I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, watch this, but you are hunting me down to take my life. I know you see me as your enemy. And I love verse 12. This is his perspective and his focus. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. My hand will not touch you. Even though you have what I want, even though you see me as your enemy, I see you as the Lord's anointed because I believe God is the one who has blessed you. What is a good definition of envy based on these two characters? I believe it's this. Envy is being discontent that God has given them something he hasn't given you. 
given them something he hasn't given you. Ultimately, envy is a sin against our God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And that is why David found a better way. David, who God was with, changed everything for how he saw the blessings others had. And I want you to see this. God with us means I can trust God with what he's given me and what he's given others. He's in control. He is with me. Therefore, I can trust him with the blessings he has given others. Now, here's the question for you. Who is it that you struggle to trust in that space? God with us means I can trust God with what he's given her, him. You know who they are. Those people who you may have your eye on more than others, who trigger envy more than others. In this Christmas season, it's that sibling, it's that ex-spouse, it's that coworker, it's that neighbor, it's them. You know who they are. Here's the question. Have you done the wrestling and just decided who is it that should be in your blank that you struggle to trust God with how he's blessed them? Could this be a principle you begin to embrace so that you focus more on God versus what they've received? That boss, that former boss. And one of the things I love that David did was he went to Saul and he honored him, he celebrated him, and he blessed him. What a great way to deal with envy. So what would it look like over the next seven days for you if you were to pray that God will bless the person you put in the blank? The person that you're tempted to envy most often. The truth is, I think in this Christmas season, we're gonna be tempted to envy some more. It is a tempting season. And so what, what of our team did is, uh, some of our team created a um, screensaver for you that you could maybe just put on your phone in this season to kind of remind you, God with us means I can trust God with what he's given others. As you open up that Instagram, you go, you know what? I need to look at that one more time. Oh, I need to look at it one more time. I need to remember that I can trust God with what he's given others. So if you want to grab that code and, and walk through and grab it, we'll, we'll share it on social media as well, but a principle that we hope will be an encouragement to you this season. However you deal with it, I just want to ask you, deal with it. Deal with this idea of envy because it has a way of destroying. Max Lucado wrote this. Suppose you spotted a small flame in your house. Not a blaze and certainly not a fire, but just tiny tongues of heat kind of dancing on the hem of a curtain on the fringe of the carpet to the side of the stove. What would you do? How would you react? Would you shrug your shoulders and walk away saying, well, a little fire never really hurt anyone? Of course not. You'd put it out. You'd douse it. You'd stamp on it. You'd cover it. Anything but allow it to grow. You would not tolerate that flame in your house. Why? Because you know the potential if that thing grows, the pattern of fire. If left unattended, it consumes all that is consumable. You know for the sake of the house, you don't play with fire. And for the sake of the heart, the same is true of us. A warning should be offered about the fire in our hearts, which if left unchecked, can burst into a flame and consume everything in our life like it did Saul. That flame 
is envy. And it subtly works in our life everywhere. And we are reminded of its destructive pattern. And let's do everything we can to stamp it out. And God with us means that I can trust God with what he's given others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for just the reminder that you are in control. You are a good God who not only gives us what we need, but furthers your plan for your kingdom. You are writing the story. You are holding the pen. And may our focus be on you and not others. In this season, God, where we become increasingly aware of others, may we become increasingly aware of you and the fact that you are pouring the water. Thank you, God, for this reminder today. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.